Welcome to Playmakers. I'm your host, Haley Allwood, and I'm super excited about today's show because joining me is NFL Network's Kimmy Checks. Now, Kimmy is a host for multiple platforms on NFL media. She does a great job with fantasy and covering some of the league's biggest events, but she also has a really interesting career path, and she has become a great voice for social justice at the network. So, Kimmy, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Haley. I was so excited when you reached out um, about joining your podcast. I'm so incredibly excited about you and the work you do, um, and also just seeing fellow amazing women in the field. It's something that we're getting more used to, right? Yes. more of us, uh, we're pulling our own seats up to the table. So thank you for pulling a seat up to your table with me today. You wrote a piece for NFL.com titled, if you think the fight for equality distracts from sports, you're missing the point. Why did you want to write a piece like that? So obviously 2020 has been a year, right? Like we have all heard the word unprecedented so many times that I'm like, I want to go back to precedented times. Let's get back to some normalcy. Um, But I think also what 2020 has taught us is that we have to stop brushing over the larger issues that face our nation, right? The unfortunate death of George Floyd, of Breonna Taylor, of the countless other Black men and women across our country at the hands of police officers, but also at the hands of racism is something that we have to stop brushing over. So for me, as a young Black woman who works in this space and who has a platform, it's so incredibly important for me to use my voice when necessary. And right now, it is so incredibly necessary. And I think even this offseason, as we were looking to get the season started, right, we had the concerns over COVID-19, we had the concerns over the civil unrest happening across our nation. It was hard for me to go to work at times and be that smiley, happy, bubbly face that talks about the future and talks about fantasy and talks about all these things when there's so many other things happening around us. So for me, if anyone who watches the NFL Network or watches any NFL content on our platforms, I want them to understand that though you're coming to me for football advice, you have to see me as a person. And I'm a Black woman. And I am always unapologetic about that. So it was so incredibly important to lend my voice to a topic that I'm passionate about, to let people know this is not about sports. It's about human rights. If you want to watch our players who go out on Sundays, on Mondays, and on Thursdays and put their body on the line for our entertainment and for us to kind of step away from reality and be zoned into the game, you have to see who they are. So that's why it was so important for me to do. And I hope that people realize that sports and politics, we don't, we don't need to try to separate the two. Right. We just need to see people as human beings. And I think sometimes too with athletes, they're covered, they have a helmet, they wear a uniform. You forget that at the end of the day, they take that off. And they go out into society, and it can be very different from stories that they've told compared to what happens in the game on Sundays. Right, exactly. So I don't know. I think for me, it was incredible to see the outpouring of support after that article um, came out. You know, once it once what once it was published and it was released, I was on my phone and I was on Twitter, and my heart was racing because anytime you talk about social justice, you're always met with two very different sides, right? people who get it and understand where you're coming from and some people who may not get where you're coming from. Um, So I was so nervous, but I think seeing the outpour of support of not only my colleagues, people within the industry, but also some players that reached out and said, hey, I really appreciate you speaking up and using your platform. Other fans from not even in the United States, people from other countries have said, we see what you're doing. We see the, the stance that you're making at the NFL. 
And that means a lot to us. So it was really positive and it made me happy. And it just goes to show that people are understanding that this is a necessary conversation and it's necessary for us as football fans to understand why the NFL is taking such a stance on it. Well, and yeah, I mean, you mentioned that you hear the stick to sports narrative all the time and we are so far past that now. It's a conversation that I think a lot of people just get uncomfortable about there could be ignorance there, whatever it is. But when you talk about the necessity to have conversations like this, is it really just to be able to evolve and to push things forward? Right. It absolutely is. And I'm not saying that these conversations, we're all going to agree on every right. single subject matter, right? That's just absolutely impossible. I wish we could do that. Then we'd have the world peace that you know every, uh, everybody wants so badly. But these conversations push us to evolve as people. It pushes us to see new perspectives. You and I, we may agree on some things. We may not agree on other things. You bring a whole different perspective to the table than I bring. And that's why it's important and it's necessary to have diversity of thought. It's necessary to have conversations that kind of push the envelope and question each other to say, hey, I love that perspective, but have you ever seen it through this lens? Mm -hmm. Or hey, your perspective is so incredibly different. I never realized that you had to go through that to get where you get where you've gotten to, right? Like that's a part of why it's necessary to talk. It's necessary to broaden your horizons and not be so insular in your thinking and your conversations and in the people that you surround yourselves with. So you mentioned 2020, obviously so much has happened this year, but things have been happening and been developing over time, not just when Colin Kaepernick started kneeling four years ago, but for decades, for centuries, whatever it is. Why do you think people, though, have been paying so much more attention to it this year? And I will say, Chargers running back Justin Jackson has said he feels the pandemic has a lot to do with that because people have been at home for a while. We didn't have sports. There weren't distractions that were taken away from really focusing on important social issues. I think that's exactly it. I mean, in my lifetime, and I'm young, right? And I, <laughs> I always relish in that. I'm so excited about that. But I remember... Being in high school and seeing the death of Michael Brown, I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. He was murdered in Ferguson, Missouri, so a little outside of St. Louis, a little over three hours away. Back then, even though I was so young, I remember thinking, this must be the breaking point. This is, this is, this is the thing that's going to change. And then it didn't happen. And then we see yet another police-involved shooting and murder, and then another and another. And at a certain point, you become so disengaged and so disenfranchised in the system itself because you continually see... I don't matter. Our, our legal system, the way that our police forces are run right now, there is such a risk with being Black in America. Now, fast forward to 2020, it's the pandemic because all of us were forced to be at home and we were forced to sit and our thoughts and forced to see what is happening. There was no distraction. Yeah. There was nothing else that could possibly consume our conversation. And everyone was itching for positivity right? This pandemic is unlike anything we've ever experienced. No one knew what that was going to bring. And then we saw the unfortunate murder of George Floyd and we saw it on camera. We got to sit with that for almost eight minutes. We saw him die. And you can't look at that and not realize something is wrong mm -hmm. and something must change. And I also give a huge kudos to all of our athletes and all of the public figures who really spoke out. Athletes have been involved before, right? We can go back to Colin Kaepernick. We can go back to when the Rams were in, um, were in St. Louis and they walked out, hands up, don't shoot, right? There are so many instances where our players have spoken out, but I've never seen anyone speak out as much as they have now. The onus is on all of us to make the difference. People are looking at the NFL. People are looking at the NBA. People yeah. are looking at professional sports leagues and celebrities to say, in this moment, what are you doing? 
because people are fed up and people realize if we're going to put our money, if we're going to put our heart, if we're going to put anything into a brand or into a company, you have to mirror our values. So now the time was to step up and make people make it clear and make it abundantly clear to people that black lives matter, not just now, but every single day. And we need to completely eradicate racism and continue to evolve and grow so that black people can walk down the street and not fear for their lives. It's just that simple. You talked a lot about allyship in the past and getting away from performative allyship, but how can white people, persons not of color, be better allies in this moment and also moving forward? I think a lot of it is just listening and understanding because I think it's human nature to sometimes get defensive about things and to feel like you're being roped into a big group and you're being accused of something. And that's not at all what anyone is saying. If you're white, if you're a non-person of color, you are not the enemy. Let me make that very, very clear. All we're asking for is to just listen and hear our perspective for once because we have been the minority for our entire lives. Mm -hmm. We've been the minority ever since slavery right? There's always been this system of oppression around black people and people of color. And all we're asking for is just realize that that's the case. Realize that this is systemic. This is systematic racism. There's systemic things that, that limit our opportunities, our barriers to entry. That's all, that's all we're asking for. Just listen and also have an open heart. Want to have these dialogues, want to have these conversations and also challenge the status quo. If you see something, if you hear something that can be ignorant, if you hear something that could be taken as racist, speak up and say, hey, that's not cool. I, I don't think any of this is rocket science. It's just having an open heart. It's, it's listening and it's understanding. All we want to do is be treated equal. We're not asking for anything more. We're not, we're not trying to suppress anyone else. All we want to do is be seen equally. So you had a show over the summer, Real Talk, which focused on the NFL social justice initiatives. You talk about how people are looking to sports leagues, looking to leagues like the NBA, the NFL certainly. How would you categorize the sort of awakening, as you put it in your article, that the NFL has gone through now? I mean, I never thought that it would get to a point where Commissioner Goodell and the league would say Black matter, right? Mm -hmm. I remember when that video came out, all of us were so shocked because it was kind of a sigh of relief of finally. Yeah. And I think because the conversation around police brutality and around protesting in the NFL got mixed into the political conversation and got mixed into the military, the message was, was diluted. And a lot of people were confused on what people were protesting. Was it the flag? Was it the anthem? Is it police brutality? What exactly was it? And I think this summer, we had a really unique opportunity to really break down exactly what it meant to say that Black Lives Matter and exactly what it meant to show we can peacefully protest as athletes. We can peacefully protest as a league, and that's okay. We're not going to lose fans. It's okay to make a stance on something that's not a political intrusion. None of this is political. It's all human. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm like, I just keep hitting the, the nail on the head because it's like, it's human. It's human. It's human. It's human. And for Commissioner Goodell, I think it was a huge awakening to listen to our players. Not that he didn't listen before, but to see the pain and the hurt coming from our community right now and not recognize that, it's inhumane. And he heard the calls for, for change. He heard the calls to action. And he stepped up and said, we as a league are going to do better we're going to right our wrongs. We're going to have these conversations. We're going to put our money where our mouth is. We're going to give you know, monetary donations and really put resources into funding communities of color and making sure that there are resources so that these communities can succeed. And now we see a whole new NFL. And it's incredible to see even at kickoff, right? 
the yeah. black national anthem was, was sung to see it takes all of us to end racism in the end zones. This is something that a few years ago when Colin Kaepernick was kneeling, none of us thought would be possible, but we've gotten to this moment because of him and because of the countless other black men who raised their fists, who got on a knee and said, this must end. So you take it from the NFL to teams. The Chargers are one of three teams in this league with a black head coach. They canceled a scrimmage a few weeks ago to have conversations about social justice. They're working with local partners, national partners, and they're also looking at their longtime programs now through this lens. So how encouraging is it to see teams really tackle this now head on? I think it's incredibly encouraging. And I think even in the past, we've seen teams kind of take a more holistic approach to it than even the league itself has because teams kind of have that autonomy that mm. yes we're a team we're going to make those decisions ourselves especially as a head coach you can invigorate your team and lead your team way differently than we can at a league level um, so it's incredibly inspiring and I think again there's a lot of credit to our players for speaking up and saying you know what I don't want to practice today because there are larger conversations that need to happen there are bigger things that need to happen and it's not football and that's so encouraging to realize that they are willing to risk and put things on, on the line so that we can have this larger conversation. So I don't know, I give all the kudos to our team. I give all the kudos to our players. Without our players, we would not have a league. And without their help this summer, we would not be having these conversations. And I truly don't think we would have pushed the needle forward. Again, we have to remember, all of this kind of started from that player-led video that came out mm -hmm. earlier this summer where they said, what if I was George Floyd? What if I was Brianna Taylor? What if, you know, you talked about our guys have on their helmets all the time. They have on their pads. It's hard to really see who they were. Once those pads come off, you can't help but see it. They're brown skin. And you can't help but see this could be their reality too. So then last one on this topic, ending racism and social injustice. It's a fight and it's not going to happen overnight. But where do you think we go from here? I think from here, we continue the conversation. I think that we're not done making people people uncomfortable, right? Uh, my friend Emmanuel Acho, former NFL player, he has a whole series called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Yeah. It's incredible. We have to have these conversations and they're not going anywhere anytime soon. This isn't just going to be a 2020 you know, league issue. This isn't going to be just a 2020 league initiative. This goes so far beyond football and we have to continue to put our foot on the gas and say, we're not letting up until we eradicate racism. We're not letting up until black people fully feel equal. And I feel like our players and our league, they're not letting up either. So getting to your story, you are the youngest on-air talent at NFL Network. Congratulations for that. How did you get your start within the league? Because I know it's a little atypical. I know it's a little different. Right. So, so atypical. So I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. I went to a performing arts high school there where I actually studied broadcast journalism and TV production. So I had to have a major in high school and I fell in love with broadcast journalism. I was like, I want to tell stories. I want to be a storyteller. I want to bring in a community of people. It's going to be awesome. So I did that in high school and knew that it was going to be amazing. But I had had big dreams of being a political commentator. Obviously, that's no big surprise because I love talking about social justice. I love yeah. talking about the tough stuff. So part of that like fuels me. Some people shy away from it. I'm like, let me drive into it and really have this conversation. So when I went to college, I studied broadcast journalism, but I started out with also studying political science. Because I was like, I'm going to work on Capitol Hill and be in D.C. And, and foster these conversations. I then went and worked in D.C. Uh, the summer after my freshman year and very quickly was like, that was fun, but I never want to do that again. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think politics is for me. This is a little too crazy. Um, and even in high school, I had done some color commentary and some play-by-play -play for our high school sports. And I'm 
I was like, gosh, I've always loved sports. Again, I grew up in Kansas City. We had season tickets to the Kansas City Chiefs. So I was a huge football fan. We didn't have the NBA. So I always liked basketball, but it was football for me. Mm -hmm. So once I was in college, after my freshman year, my sophomore year, I was like, I think I want to get way more on the sports side of things. Um, From there, I was approached by our football team to start helping out. They had known me from at the admissions office and they said, hey, we have some student job opportunities open up. Would you be interested? I originally said no because I went to the University of Iowa and we had a huge tailgate culture. I was like, no, no, no. I don't want to work for you guys because that means I can't tailgate. I'm hanging out on Saturdays. Saturdays. Yeah, Yeah, I'm like, no, I'm no, we're not doing that. I was like, I want to go have fun and be in the stands and, and, you know, go downtown with my friends. I don't want to work for a football team. Like, what are you guys talking about? But they said, why don't you come and you just do it for one week, see if you like it, meet our coaching staff see what the opportunities are, and then we'll go from there. So I did it, and I never ended up leaving. Um, I had so much fun working for the Iowa football program, and from there, they'd known that I'd had this on-air experience, and we had this idea to start a series called Between the Tiger Hawks. Um, In the state of Iowa, we obviously do not have an NFL team, so that means our college football teams are like the NFL. We see 75,000 people just come into Iowa City on Saturdays who don't even live there just to be in the city for the games. So a lot of times they treat our players like NFL players, not realizing these are 18, 19, 20 year old guys. Like these are still kind of kids in a sense. Yeah. So we wanted to do a series that took the helmet off, like we were talking about earlier and it normalized them and it humanized them. And we did fun things. We did silly things. Um, so that's when I started kind of do, to do some content for the team and realizing like, holy cow, this is fun. I can have a voice. I can bring a new perspective. Like let's, let's see what this has in store. Um, so for the rest of college, I worked for the Iowa football program. And then it was time to figure out my career. Like, what did I want to do? Um, I had toyed around with wanting to stay in college athletics and I originally had gotten a job offer with ESPN, um, towards my senior year of college. I started freelancing with them on their college football crew with Steve Lee, Brian Greasy and Todd McShay. We all had such a good chemistry. They were the most incredible crew ever. Um, so I originally was going to work for them, but it was kind of like a part-time role of it was college football season. I'd be on the road like Thursday through Saturday slash Sunday, and then I can kind of do whatever else I'd wanted. So I, I applied around and I saw a role at the NFL that was called the junior rotational program. I had no idea what it was, but I was bored and I was like, sure, I'll apply. After six months of interviews, I ended up getting the position in the JRP program as they choose seven to 10 college graduates every single year for a two-year multidisciplinary program. So for two years, we rotate departments every single six months so that we can learn league operations and understand how the league works and kind of where we fit into the picture. So after I graduated college, I moved right to New York City and I joined the NFL League's office where I spent a little over a year there working across three departments. And this was very like business centric, very business heavy. I was a business business analyst. I worked across international media and business development. I did fan-centric database marketing, and then I worked on the event revenue and strategy side of things. So like very in the weeds, I had an absolute blast. Um, But I was still kind of itching to get closer to the content side of things because that's always where my passion lied. Like I want to be a storyteller. I want to help create these stories and these visions for our players and for our leagues. So I went to HR and I said, can you guys send me to Los Angeles? Because I know that's where the NFL network is. Um, And when you're a part of the program, you have the option of being in the New York league office. You can go to NFL films. You can go to the NFL network in LA. You can go to our UK office out in London. So you kind of have an opportunity to kind of pick Mm -hmm. and choose where you want to go. So I somehow convinced them to let me go to Los Angeles. So exactly like a year ago, uh, a year ago right now, 
I moved to LA just for a six month rotation and I joined the fantasy football content department in the LA media group. And it was like love at first sight for all of us. We had so much fun. We were just rolling out what the content side of fantasy was, you know, making sure that we had content within our apps, making sure that our fantasy shows were fun and spoke to different audiences. So I got in on the ground floor of that. A part of that is we bought in this amazing new producer named Justin Harvey. And he like saw something in me and him and I got really close and he was like such a nice guy and, and he'd worked in production for so long and he had said, Hey, like you should like try your hand at some of the stuff. Let's see if we can kind of get you in on some things and, and see what'll happen. I'm like, absolutely sign mm-hmm. me up. So one of our talent for one of our shows went to London for three weeks to cover the London games, meaning that there was a hole on the show and her absence. So one crazy day, he was like, why don't we like, why don't we have you test it out? You can just try it out one time. It's a 30 minute show. It's quick. It's easy. It's across digital. So, you know, no crazy pressure. Uh, Let's see how you do. So I did it once and then I never stopped doing it. Um, They gave me the incredible opportunity to sit in on the show for the rest of the season. And it was really fun because there really aren't a lot of black women who talk fantasy football. Like it's a very like white dude thing. And even before (laughs) joining the fantasy group, like fantasy football was very daunting to me. It was like, I have been a football fan my entire life, but like, what are we talking about? How do we do this? Like, this is scary. And you know, waiver wire, what is this? What are all these things? And then I realized like, we can have fun and you can make this a fun young game. So that's kind of the perspective that I drew in. Um, So in February, right after the Super Bowl, I ended up leaving the junior rotational program seven months early and I signed a honor contract with the NFL Network. Um, And now I'm here, which is so exciting. So sitting across all of our fantasy shows, doing some fun red carpet and some social coverage um, at all of our big tenfold events. And then obviously also tackling some of these social justice things. We have our weekly show real talk with the NFL that you mentioned earlier, as well as starting to write a little bit. So I'm trying to like get my, get my toes and hands in all the waters um, and really try to solidify and figure out what does long-term me look like? What is the best way that I can use my voice and my platform for good? I love your story so much, partly selfishly, because when I was growing up, I was always into poli sci too. And then I was like, well, I don't want to be a lawyer. I'm like, where do I go? So then I ditched it for the comm major and did the very broad general thing. But like, I feel you (laughs) on that because as we know sports to be sort of the ultimate reality show, politics is certainly its own beast in that sense. And I cannot speak to working in it. You did it and you were like, thanks, no thanks. I was like, thanks, but no thanks. That was a really good look. Lesson. That was really fun for a few months, but I'm going to go and uh, never do that again. Yeah. <laughs> so you had the broadcast background, but when you talk about the junior rotational program and working in all the different departments, how did that sort of make you more well-rounded, if you will, to be able to take all of that experience and, and use it now? Right. So I think... The junior rotational program, I, I'm like, I want to be at JRP forever because I seriously got to understand every single part of the NFL's business. I think for me, when I was looking at my rotations and what departments I wanted to touch and kind of get into, I wanted to understand the revenue side of things. I was a journalism major. I did not take math classes. I stayed away from math classes. Yep. I've never wanted to take a math class. But for me, it was really, really important to realize, like, how do we generate revenue? What does that look like? What does our business model look like? What do our rights look like? How do we leverage those not only in the United States, but how do we leverage those internationally? How do we, you know, segment out our audiences? How do our fans engage with our marketing materials? I understand now, like when I get an email about the Kansas City Chiefs, just because they're my favorite team, I'm like, that goes through a rigorous kind of data system, of understanding (laughs) who I am as a consumer. 
Um, so it was incredible to kind of get into those finite details of all of those things, because now when I talk about content or when I talk about, you know, producing content or doing shows, I understand all the background work that goes into it and how we can leverage that of saying, oh, well, this could play really good to an international audience because of X, Y, and Z. Or, oh, when we bring this to media sales and we're looking for a sponsor or a partner, why don't we look with one that aligns with our values on X, Y, and Z? Um, when we go to Super Bowl or Pro Bowl or the drafts, I understand these event spaces. I understand who helped leverage these events. So why don't we team up with one of those huge sponsors that are putting revenue towards the event to do an activation where we can produce our own content, where we can make good on our content, we can get fantasy out there, but then we can also partner and, and have a sponsor at such a large tentpole event. So I think for me, it's like so fun to go into these meetings and conversations because I can bring a whole different lens and perspective of it's not just me walking in as talent. It's me walking in as like, I'm talent, but I also understand the business and I still love that side of the business. Mm -hmm. and I want to still be a part of it. So it's kind of like making it all work and come together as one. So you mentioned, obviously, being a young woman in this industry, there's so many young women who are trying to find their spot working at, you know, trying to make it happen, I guess you could say. I know that there's a really fabulous LinkedIn group, A Seat at the Table. Could you just speak to that a little bit? And maybe for those who are listening who would want to join, what they would get out of it? Right. So A Seat at the Table was started by MJ Costa Ruiz and Christina, who works at our league office in New York City. She works in community relations. And they wanted to start a forum and a group for women who want to work in sports because it can be really daunting to try mm -hmm. to break into the industry. Yeah. I always feel like I had like these lucky pinch me moments where I worked my butt off in high school and college. Not get me wrong. I grinded. I got good grades. I tried to do every single internship possible, every single job possible um, just to get that opportunity. And so many women do that, but it's really hard to kind of get that breakthrough moment totally. because this is a sport where every, not a sport, this is a, this is a career that so many people want to get into. Working in football and entertainment, that's like everybody's dream job. Everybody, my fiance all the time is like, you have the coolest job in the world. <laughs> um, and because of that, it can be really competitive. And especially as a woman, you really start to question yourself and your value and your worth. And then at times you can see another woman and sometimes want to pit yourself against her just mm -hmm. because there are so few seats at the table that once you get one, you can be so protected. And say like, no, this is my space and no one else can infiltrate it. The seat at the table completely flips that on the head to say, no, we are a community of women who uplift one another and we want to help one another. We can go through people's resumes. We can go through people's cover letters. We can suggest, hey, this job opening just popped up. Are you interested in if you are? Can I connect you with the hiring manager? What are words of wisdom? What are words of advice? Hey, I have all these extra dresses and clothes that I use for broadcast journalism that I don't want anymore. Can I send them to you. I know you're in college and maybe you need them. It's just this really fun community of women coming together from one common goal and one common good and uplifting and supporting each other every single step of the way. And for me, like the women that I've had in my life that have supported me in my career, that's why I am where I am today. Because we have to stop the stigma that like there can only be one of us or mm -hmm. there can only be a few us. We have to have these candid conversations. We need to talk about our salaries. We need to talk about how to negotiate our salaries. Because if I know you're making X and you know I'm making X and there's a discrepancy and we're on the same level, let's advocate for one another and help yeah. each other get to that equal playing field. Because that's what men do. So we're just trying to equal the playing field and pull our own seats up to the table. I love that so much. Okay, before we go, just a couple quick fantasy questions here. You have a new show with Adam Rank, Fantasy Bites. Chargers play the Panthers this week. When you're looking at maybe wide receiver or flex positions, are guys like Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry should be starts essentially here in week three? Oh, they absolutely should be starts. I think for me as a Kansas City 
fan. You just need to go look yeah, at what happened on after that, that game. <laughs> I mean, I, yes. Okay. I'm sorry that you guys lost, but regardless, you guys played incredibly and we're a very tough team. And I think for us, we kind of came in with a chip on our shoulder of like, all right, let's, let's stunt and, and do what we do. We just want a Super Bowl. And you guys were like, no, 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 hold on. Let us, let us welcome you into SoFi Stadium and show, uh, show you why we are the Los Angeles Chargers. So absolutely, they should be flex starts. You know, fantasy right now, if we look at what happened last Sunday, a lot of injuries across the board, mm-hmm. right? A lot of guys, big name players who went down. So you want to make sure those flex spots are good. Absolutely, Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, get them in your lineup. And then last one, current two-headed monster running back right now with Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly, rookie out of UCLA. Do either of those strike you as fantasy options for this week? Absolutely. I actually went on Total Access yesterday and Fantasy Live yesterday and said, guys, look at Joshua Kelly. You guys have always kind of had a two-headed monster backfield, right? It works. And that's why it works. It can kind of be a headache for fantasy managers because you're like, okay, but which guy do I want to start? Yeah, who's in there? Start start both of them. I know this kind of is like a, this helps no one scenario, but I think they're going to see 50-50 split time. I think there's nothing but opportunity for either running back. And regardless, if you want to go grab Joshua Kelly, he's most likely on the waiver wire and you can get him for a low cost with high upside. So either one of those guys, again, this is a helps, this helps no one scenario, but please get them in your lineups. Two headed beasts, get them. Come on. You want to, you want to get them while they're low. There we go. Love it. Kimmy, thank you so much for coming on. This was such a great conversation. I loved having you. I've been so inspired by you watching from watching you from afar. It's been so great to actually connect with you and just thank you again. We really appreciate it. No, thank you, Haley. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for bringing us young women to the table and giving us a platform to speak. I think when you look at idols and people that I look up to in the industry, you're absolutely one of those names. You've been nothing but kindness. You've been nothing but supportive. And I see you not only support me, but you support so many other women. And that is what truly matters. So thank you for all that you do.